We don't paint a picture of hormonally what happens after you give birth, neurologically and physiologically. And so we don't understand that. And we don't want to because we have this all glamorized and fantasized. Welcome to the Smart Money Mama Show, where moms get real about money to help you find your financial confidence and live your best life. Now let's talk money, mamas. Hey, 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 I'm your host, Chelsea Brennan, and mamas, today we have a very special show for you. I'm going to be joined by three brilliant experts, and we're diving into an incredibly important topic that I don't think gets discussed enough, mental health for new moms. As a woman who struggled with postpartum depression and anxiety after both of my boys, I know how lonely it can feel and how important it is to take care of yourself, which is why I'm excited to bring on family therapist, Dr. Cheryl Ziegler, holistic health professional, Cynthia Rivas, and maternal mental health advocate, Tiffany Day, on the show today to dive deep into taking care of yourself in that postpartum period. Now, before we get started, a quick reminder that these episodes are recorded live on YouTube. So if you want to have your questions answered on the show, be sure to head to youtube.com forward slash smart money mamas and click that subscribe button. Are you ready to ditch the taboos and talk about mental health? Let's get started. Hey, 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 welcome back to Smart Money Mamas Live. I'm your host, Chelsea Brennan, founder of Smart Money Mamas, where we help moms align their money with their values so they can live their best lives. Last week, we had a great time chatting with Tasha Booth, founder of The Launch Guild, all about starting a successful business as a mom. If you missed that episode, definitely go check it out because Tasha had so many great tips. But today, I'm going to be joined by three brilliant experts, and we're diving into an incredibly important topic that I don't think gets discussed enough, mental health for new moms. As a woman who struggled with postpartum depression and anxiety after both of my boys, I know how lonely it can feel and how important it is to take care of yourself, which is why I'm excited to bring Cynthia Rivas. Dr. Cheryl Ziegler and Tiffany Day onto the show today. Instead of all, introducing them all, I'm going to let them each tell their own story in just a second here. Now, before we dive in, a quick reminder to hit the subscribe button and click the little bell so you get notified every time we release a new episode. Are you ready to ditch the taboos and talk about mental health? Let's get started. Welcome, Tiffany. Welcome, Cynthia. And welcome, Cheryl. It's so great to have you all here. Hi. Yes, thank you. I am, as I mentioned, really excited to dive into this topic and so grateful for the work all three of you do helping moms think about their mental health, really be their best versions of themselves. And so I want to have you each introduce yourself. What do you do and how do you work with moms? Let's start with Tiffany. My name is Tiffany Day. I, it's funny you said expert. My heart like jumped because I don't consider myself an expert. I unfortunately fell into this after pregnancy, having postpartum depression, and I was a career mom. I had lost my job in the midst of really hard postpartum depression and anxiety. And I turned to Facebook groups looking for other moms to kind of talk to and see like, is anybody else going through this? Because nobody I knew was. And I found those groups can be kind of ruthless at times. And so I decided to join influencer marketing and wanted to do something good. So I created my vlogging channel and just basically wanted to show the good, the bad, the ugly, everything in between to kind of break down the stigma around being a super mom and show what it really was like to be a mom. My work kind of comes with just telling it how it is. I have now branched off and done bigger things and actually help women get started and create financial stability while, you know, sharing their truth online, because that's basically all I was doing. And that in itself, it kind of helped me with my postpartum depression because I found purpose. I found a passion that I loved while being able to raise my kids and not have guilt and just know that although it's normal, it shouldn't be, but it's really common and we just need to speak on it more. So I'm very passionate, just mental health in general. Fantastic. Cynthia, you want to introduce yourself? 
Cynthia, we can't hear you. I'm not sure if your your mic's not coming through. Cheryl, you want to go while Cynthia gets set up? Yeah, I can go. Where to start? Really, I um, I'm a doctor specifically in psychology. I've worked with children and families for many years, over 20 years. Postpartum depression and just the adjustment to having children and becoming going from being an individual to becoming a mother and all of those kinds of transitions are something I've really been studying for pretty much 10, 11 years exclusively. I think there's a lot we can do as communities to change that process. I think there's a lot that we're missing in that what we do. So there are things that we have to start doing. There are things that we have to stop doing in order to help women understand what the transition is really like, normalizing some of it, really educating people around the difference between an adjustment and what people sometimes refer to as baby blues, and then all the way up to actual postpartum depression, which we know can be treated, but oftentimes women are left in shame. So I am the author of Mommy Burnout, and I really just try to cover different kinds of issues that affect maternal mental health. There's so much of that we want to dig into today. Oh, I always saw Tiffany nodding along there. It looks like Cynthia might still be having a little tech trouble. It looks like we still can't hear Cynthia. So one of the questions I have for Tiffany and for Cheryl is that we know that 900,000 moms in the U.S. are diagnosed with postpartum depression every year. Why do we think maternal mental health is still this taboo topic? You know, Tiffany, you mentioned that you didn't feel like you knew anyone in your community who was going through this. I kind of felt the same way until I started talking about it. Why is it so taboo for us to discuss this? I feel it's kind of just an overround this stigma around mental health in general. One of the reasons after talking to it, it took for me having my second child to be diagnosed with it the first time because my first doctor kind of just brushed to the side. Oh, it's normal. It'll go away. Kind of made me feel like that nagging first time mom. And so I didn't want to speak up because I felt like nobody was listening to me. I didn't want to be the person that nagged. I knew everything was new and I'd figure it out eventually. That's what we do with our children. But it was a weird place, you know, and luckily the doctor I had the second time took mental health in general very seriously. You know, I had general anxiety disorder since I was like 15. And so if you have already a struggle with your mental health, you're more likely to catch it. Um, and I say catch it like you you can catch it, but we know, <laughs> you know, you're more likely to go down that hole. And then if you have children and you had it before, then you're more likely to get it. But it's just this overall stigma that it's a bad thing, that if you have a mental health issue, then there's something wrong with you. And people don't like talking about that, you know, and then packed on top of moms in general, just have so much societal pressure to be perfect, to bounce back, to do all of, you know, all the things, get it all done. And when we feel like we can't, we feel like we're failing and we just don't really like admitting we're failing at times. And, you know, we just need to break that. You're not failing. And there should not be a stigma around mental health in general. And it's just like breaking a bone. You need to go to the doctor. You need to get help for it. Cheryl, what do you think? I think if we break this down, think about what the the time is during your pregnancy, right? For many people, not all, but let's just say for many women, it's this time of great joy and showers and celebrations and just everything's adorable and little and you do a nursery, right? So if you put yourself in the mind space of bliss, it's almost like when you're engaged to be married. And we know that the first year after marriage is oftentimes actually very difficult, but we don't talk about that either. When there is this buildup of how incredible this is going to be and how beautiful it's going to be, how perfect the baby's going to be and how 
wonderful, yes, tired. We, we all will say, oh, you're going to be tired and sleep deprived, but that's about all we give it. So there's the social, there's the social aspect of it. Then there is the physiological aspect of it that we don't really talk about, which is what happens hormonally once you give birth. So we understand, I think, the hormones during pregnancy. There are lots of, you know, socializing around that, right? You might cry easily and might be moodier and those kind of things. But then we don't really paint a picture because it's not the same for everybody, but we don't paint a picture of hormonally what happens after you give birth, neurologically and physiologically. And so we don't understand that. And we kind of don't want to because we have this all glamorized and fantasized. I think that what happens is the baby gets a ton of attention. Much of that, of course, is necessary, but the mother really doesn't. After she's she's not carrying anymore, what happens to many mothers will say, once I had the baby, I just felt like I was this vessel for this baby to come out and everybody's very excited and focused in on the baby, but I'm an aside, right? If somebody says like, how are you really doing? That can sort of be the side question. I really like to think about what gets us to this point? How has this happened? And a lot of it has to do with the social, emotional, physical changes, but the buildup as well. And I think it's really important starting at pregnancy to start talking about what are those hormonal changes? What can they result in? What should you be looking for? And not just waiting for the six-week post-visit, maybe with their OBGYN, to really get asked those questions, which I'm glad they do get asked now. But even those six weeks, I think, can be really lonely and long for a woman who might be experiencing a depressive episode. And can we talk to you about that perfectionism thing? I know we've talked about mommy burnout a bit and some of these topics. One of the things that I struggled with was thinking that I could fix it, right? That I didn't need to go to a mental health professional. And similar to Tiffany, I've struggled with generalized anxiety much of my life. But I was like, maybe if I just exercise more, I do this diet, or we just wait a couple of weeks, it'll go away. And that put me in a place that it took a long time to get diagnosed and to get the help that I needed. And so how do we know when it's something that is just baby blues and that we can kind of fix ourselves? And when do we know when we have to ask for help? It's very interesting. We're getting better, I think, in our country, particularly the last you know year and a half, but about talking about mental health. That's, I mean, really come a long way in terms of talking about it. However, if you think about the education, the people that a woman in this position are going to trust the most is going to be her doctor her MD doctor, maybe her general practitioner, obviously the OBGYN she goes to, those are going to be, in most cases, the two primary people. They do not have training, or maybe they don't have more than just very generalized training in mental health. Just like we've discovered, you know, many MDs there, they don't have training in nutrition either. There are certain things they don't have training in, and especially once you are incredibly specialized, they have obviously incredible training in that area, but you can't be trained in everything. And this is part of both the problem and the obvious solution. I think that that's what strikes me, you you know, right now, most as we're talking about this is the people they're relying on, let's say professionally, don't really have the training to know the difference between baby blues. Oh, this is normal. Yes, it's normal to cry a lot and to maybe at times wonder what in the world has happened to you, right? There's some normalizing, but I think in terms of really trying to decide clinically, do they meet criteria for postpartum depression, should they have medical intervention and psychological intervention? That's where I think as a system in general, there's a huge breakdown. 
That's really, I think, the first part to really think about. And maybe that's part of choosing who's going to deliver your baby for women is empowering them to say, either I have a history of mental health in my family or with myself, or I have no history of mental health, but I keep hearing about, right, this is in the future. I keep hearing about this postpartum depression stuff. How do you screen for that? How do you handle that? Because that, I think, could be a part of the conversation of selecting the right doctor for you. Tiffany, how did you recognize that it was postpartum depression? So I love what Cheryl said about, you know, screening, because the second time I went in and I basically screened, I was like, I'm not going through that again, because the first time was so bad. I remember at that time I was working, so I was on maternity leave and I felt guilt that there was a part of me that could not wait to get back to work because I just needed a break because my husband was gone and he would come home and I would hand off the baby and go take a shower. But really, I would just turn the water on and cry for like 30 minutes to an hour, not even taking a shower. I had no type of desire to take care of myself. I would just kind of like lay in bed, you know, obviously do the minimum for the child, change the child, feed the child. On top of that, you know, I was a nursing mom and that was all new to me. And it was like, there's something, this is something more than just the baby blues, just, you know, that fog that they say you go through. And when I talked to my doctor about it, they brushed it off and they were like, no, it's fine. And I was like, that's not fine until, you know, right before I went back to work, I told my husband, I think I'm a bad mom. And I just cried. And he's like, where is this coming from? I hid it from everybody. And that's when I was like, this is really a problem. When I found out I was pregnant with my son right away, I told the doctor, this was my experience. And I want to be the healthiest and happiest mom I can possibly be for my children. And I don't want to go through that four month fog again. You know, I didn't even know about the fourth trimester until my second child, you know, and she was like, this is normal during the fourth trimester. Yes, you needed more help. And they, you know, kind of screened me throughout. Anytime I had an appointment, there was questions about my mental health and how I was doing. And it was a totally different experience. I felt like the second time it was more postpartum anxiety than depression because I wasn't crying nearly as much. You know, I did have desires to get up, go work out, go be active and do everything else. But the first time I just did not want to care for myself. And I barely, I looked at this baby and I I didn't feel the connection with her. I, I just felt so bad. So that's kind of like my experience with that. Absolutely. Cheryl, could you explain to us what the difference between postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety is? Postpartum depression is diagnosable, and this is a real clinical term. Postpartum anxiety is not necessarily an official term, but it's something that we see, which is really having, for some people, it starts off with, again, those normal anxieties. You have a little bit of fear. You rethink your, you know, your decisions a lot. Did I do this right? Should I double check them? You find yourself, you know, just worrying a lot, perseverating what we would say, right? Just thinking about the same thing over and over again. And that is a hard thing to say to a new mother. Oh, you're worrying about your child's health too much. You're worrying if they're breathing in the middle of the night too much, right? You wouldn't say that to somebody. So there's some normal process of postpartum anxiety. However, we know anxiety goes awry when it is disruptive to your ability to function. Maybe you don't leave the house. Maybe you don't feel comfortable napping when your child is napping. Maybe you're staring at the monitor the whole time. You know, you can't move on and do other things. So I think there's anxiety, which is like, yes, I have this worry, but I can manage it. I can compartmentalize. I can accept help. That's a big one. If you have more like postpartum anxiety, it's very difficult to accept help. You're very rigid, right? You you don't want to hear other people's opinions. You think, you know, you want to do it your way. Even if you ask somebody for advice, and they give you advice, you tend not to take it because it feels scary. 
it's the same thing as, as depression. There is a continuum of, yeah, there's some normalcy on this end all the way to this is now becoming debilitating, interfering with your sort of activities of daily living, being able to kind of move through life. Do you think that there's anything to a lot of these new products we market to moms really playing on that normal anxiety or extreme anxiety? Some of the products that I've seen of like the things you put on their feet to measure their O2 and their heart rate that like pops up on the side of your bed. As someone who had struggled with anxiety, when I saw those as a pregnant mom, I was like, I would just stare at that thing (laughs) for like 24 hours a day. Are there things that could possibly be making it worse that we're calling into our, our life that we don't need to? I actually didn't get those because like you, I would have just stared at it. I remember getting the Doppler, right? Where you can hear the baby's heartbeat. They always say like it either works or it doesn't work. And I think a company had sent it to me. And so I was trying it out and I could not hear the baby's heartbeat. And I was like freaking out the whole time. And I was like, this was the worst decision I had ever made during my pregnancy is to get this. And I was like, I'm not even going to try to get the socks. My friend had gotten pregnant afterwards and her doctor mentioned, we only recommend products like this. If there is a medical emergency or there's something that could go wrong with a baby, if your baby is happy and healthy and, you know, you went full term, those are rarely needed. And I was like, why don't they tell you that? (laughs) You know, those are information they don't tell you about. And you're just thinking, I need to buy all of this extra stuff. I think when it is being marketed to moms, that extra bit of information would be helpful. Obviously, it would cut down on sales, but, you know, also doing your own research to know, does my child need this? Talking to your doctor before doing anything is a huge one. You know, I was a big advocate on that. If something was new or, you know, I was trying out a new like diet or anything like that, you know, can I have this during my baby? Can, you know, is this okay? Taking an ingredient list. And the first time I didn't, cause I was like, I don't want to be that nagging first time mom. The second time I was like, nope, here's the ingredient list. Is it safe? You know, just speak up for yourself and advocate for yourself because it's for your well-being and the well-being of your child as well. As I was hearing you talk, Tiffany, what really struck me is what some of these products or books or information does is it takes away your natural intuition. We are wired to know how to take care of our babies, literally biologically wired to do that. And what happens is whether you have anxiety or depression or you're just a new parent, what happens is these products make you second guess yourself. They make you go, oh my gosh, I I think I need to read another book. I think I need another supplement. Maybe I didn't take enough, whatever, whatever. That's what I see is there's so much wisdom within ourselves. And this this isn't hocus pocus out there. This is actually the beautiful nature of science and biology and the way that the human race has continued to survive. Mothers know what they need and what their babies need. And we need to go back to that. That's one of the key missing elements about such an industrialized, westernized world is that we've taken away the common sense nature or the intuition, trusting your gut, and also the sense that, well, who are my trusted people? Who are the mothers before me? Let me ask them. Instead, it's, oh no, mom, grandma, best friend, sister, I'm not going to listen to you. I'm going to go on Google instead, right? We trust these supposed outside resources more than ourselves and the, and the people closest to us. I'd really like to see that change for us. Cynthia has joined us. Let's see if Cynthia's mic is working. How are you doing, Cynthia? Hi, can you hear me? Oh, yay! yay. <laughs> Cynthia, I'm you so sorry. I am very technically challenged, so... Hey, we're here now. 
<laughs> yes, yes. Thank you for having me. You want to introduce yourself? And I think a little bit of what Cheryl was saying about trusting your intuition speaks to some of the work that you do. So you want to also piggyback off that as well. Hi, everyone. I'm a Los Angeles-based acupuncturist and Reiki practitioner. I've been working with women for 13 years, and I have a two and a half year old. So after having my son, I'm someone that's very prone to anxiety and depression. I struggled a lot with it in my 20s. It's actually what led me to become a, a holistic healthcare practitioner. I had established a, you know, a self-care routine before becoming a mom. And so when I had my son, that routine was like out the window. A lot of that anxiety and depression kind of came to a head. And I really had to lean into my, my healing toolbox to help me just kind of like just get through the day. And I was inspired during my own postpartum anxiety journey. I was inspired to create a affirmation card deck, which I call the postpartum empowerment deck. I launched that about a year ago and I co-created it with another mom who, another first time mom who was also going through her own postpartum journey. Speaking back to Cheryl about find, like finding the people that you trust, I think it can be hard for moms to identify their own postpartum struggles, right? It's hard to see when you're in the middle of it. And so how can we call in partners and friends to look out for us? What's the best way for them to support? What I'll just say about that is that women tend to not always be so great or so comfortable asking for help. We see it as a vulnerability. And even though as much as we've been talking, I feel like for the last decade, leading with Brene Brown's work on shame and vulnerability, we still have a ways to go there where you could say, I really, I need help or no, you don't understand. Like I'm sitting in a shower and crying for 30 to 45 minutes and I'm by myself. I'm so lonely, even though people are coming by or dropping off food or coming to see the baby, I feel desperately alone. We're not really fully there yet. We're, we're moving in that direction. So the first part is really getting in touch with the power and vulnerability and really practicing that. Just me telling someone that that sounds scary to so many people. So many women I work with go, oh no, don't do the vulnerability talk with me. And I'm like, we're getting there. We're going there. So um, you have to be vulnerable. You have to learn how to ask for help and really accept it. The asking is hard for many women. And then sometimes the accepting it is like yet another hurdle, right? So I ask Tiffany, maybe, can you just come over tomorrow? Do you have the two hours? I just need whatever. I need to get out of the house or I need to sleep or I just need company whatever it might be. And then the 24 hours in between for me not to want to cancel on her 15 times. And, oh no, actually, no, I don't really need that. I, no, you don't really. Oh, are you sure? That's what we do. We get the courage to ask for help. And then we want to take it back. And then we're like, oh no, oh no. And whether I'm going to owe you a favor or, oh, you're going to see me as weak, or you're going to see how terrible my house is kept, whatever it is, we get scared. And so I think this is something you have to practice. It is not something you can just tell somebody and they're going to do. You can say it over and over. At some point, someone gets inspired and they have to practice it. It doesn't come naturally for us. But if you practice it long enough, you start to see the reciprocal nature. You start to see that you actually do get closer with people and you actually start believing the truth, which is it makes the other person probably feel even better than you do because we are naturally helpers. We want to help. I think people have to practice it to really buy into it and experience the positivity that comes from 
being vulnerable and asking and receiving help. So Cynthia or Tiffany, what about before there's a problem? If you're an expecting mom, you're watching this, you're pregnant. How do you tell your friends, your partners, what to look out for? Like, what do you wish someone had told the people in your life before you started to struggle? I wish people, let's see, there was a lot. I think for me, there was a lot of, well, let me know if you need anything. And I think that to Cheryl's point about vulnerability, I think for me, it was very challenging to be vulnerable because I was always someone that was kind of perceived as this very like strong person who always had it together. Growing up, you know, in a Latin culture, like we're supposed to just be able to do it all and and not ask for any help. So I wish it would have been nice for people to just like, just come over and bring food. Like, don't wait for me to ask you. Come over and like do the dishes. Rather than like, let me know if you need anything. I think it would have been nice for to have that support without needing to ask for it. Although I think for me, it was a big lesson in vulnerability. It was a big lesson in, okay, wait a second. You know what? I need to ask for help. And this is a muscle that I need to strengthen. And it's absolutely a practice and it's very uncomfortable. It's not easy, but it's, it's just something that you have to do. You have to learn to be vulnerable and you have to learn to ask for help and you have to let go of this idea that you're always going to have it together. I mean, I agree with both because I'm definitely a person. If you tell me, let me know when you need something, I am definitely not going to do that. You know, <laughs> um, And I don't know why we do that. And I know in the back of my head or people say, how are you doing? My default is I'm fine. I'm not fine, but it's just, I sort of feel sometimes and I feel, you know, a lot of moms go through this. We don't want to burden other people with how we're really feeling. And it's not a burden, you know, and it's just really connecting with those people who you know that you can go to. And maybe if the person says, I promise you're not going to burden me, tell me how you're really feeling, you're like really opening it up instead of those simple, how are you or, you know, that can help for one. And I've definitely gotten to the point where if my friend's having a baby, for a baby shower, I bring a gift for mom. I don't bring a gift for baby because the baby's going to get so many things, you know? So I'm bringing her stuff she's going to need for postpartum. You're like something that's going to help her, a book, a candle, something that promotes relaxation, that, you know, take care of yourself. That's something that I've started to do. And I would love if like other people really took that into consideration with new moms. When it comes to, I know you mentioned spouse, it's hard for them too. I mean, my husband is amazing, but even at times he has no idea what to do. Our kids are two and five now. And he's like, I don't know, (laughs) you know, so dads also need support. And I wish too, there was some type of, I don't know, I guess where there's postpartum, you know, care, we get what one six week appointment for moms, at least if there's something for dads too, that would be amazing to help them. Like, this is what your wife is going through and to understand this. And this is how you can be support to her. And don't ask her what needs to be done. Just kind of do what you feel and, you know, say, hey, I took out the trash. I did dinner and I did this. What else can help you out today? Like those really like open-ended questions where we have to respond, I think would help out so much. I similarly didn't get diagnosed with postpartum for a very long time. I had an interesting case where mine didn't start till six months in, which is something that I was unaware could happen, that it's any time in the first year. So I was fine for the fourth trimester. And then I went back to work and after a month or two, it got really bad. Something that came up when I've talked to my husband about this is he's like, I missed the appointment when the OB told you what to look out for, for postpartum. He wasn't there. He was at almost all the appointments, but he missed that one. 
And he was like, I wish someone had explained to me what this looks like, especially when you have a wife who thinks they can handle it all. He was like, I wish as soon as I saw that something was wrong, I could have made you go to the doctor, right? It's like, or even just, he had HIPAA to just call our doctor and be like, she seems not right, right? <laughs> like, not, not the right way. I think educating our partners, educating our friends about what these things look like so that they can help pull us in when we do think, you know, oh, we'll fix it. It's fine. And we're avoiding the help that we need, right? So we have a question from Rachel who said, our family just learned that dad slash husband is being deployed five weeks after baby number two is born. Postpartum is such a difficult time when you have support. So what advice can you give to moms in solo parenting situations to take care of themselves when their support system is significantly reduced? And this is a, a tough thing, but it's also we hear a lot for single moms. So what about when you don't have that partner at home? I want to just jump in with one thing. I don't know if it's how many cities this is available in, but there is something called boot camp for new dads. I actually interviewed one of the instructors on my podcast and they go over these kinds of things. It's really about, I think there's a little about, of course, you know, how to change a diaper and all of that, but they actually talk a ton about supporting the mother, what signs to look for in the mother, how to help a mother just with breastfeeding. And some of the tips that he was telling me were excellent. I joked to my husband, like, wow, that would have been awesome if you would have done that. So, you know, just like always have a fresh bottle of water by the pumping station. I'm like, yeah, that would have been awesome. That simple thing. How many times do we sit there, hook up, and then all of a sudden you're like, I don't have any water. Oh my gosh, my phone's across the room, whatever it might be. And so I just want to say that to look for those things, look for them at hospitals. There's oftentimes those kinds of programs that are geared toward both parents. I just wanted to make sure to promote that. Your question around single parents in this situation, again, for the woman listening, please thank your husband for his service. This probably the group of moms that I, I hear the very, very most from are moms of deployed soldiers. They're so lonely. But just know that wherever you are, if you're on a base, you're usually around other wives in these kinds of situations or other partners. In this case, I'm going to say wives they're all feeling so similarly. So create community. I always say where there is no community, create that community. This is how it was supposed to be. We're supposed to be in little tribes and we're supposed to be very communal in supporting new mothers and in raising babies and children. And we have gotten away from that. So that's something I just really want to emphasize to any of the military moms on here, spouses, all of that is I know for sure, because I hear from them that you're all feeling incredibly lonely and very similar, sometimes resentful, sometimes angry, and just reach out to each other, create a group, create a night, create a system where you rotate days of the week where you're watching each other's kids, you'll see people will come. I 100% agree with that, with creating community and really just kind of seeking out if, there's mo- if there are already moms in your life who you admire or who you would trust to give you insight and support, definitely reach out to them. And again, don't be afraid to be vulnerable and say, Hey, I'm really scared. I, you know, I don't know how I'm going to feel and just kind of start to really cultivate that relationship. Let's touch on for a second, the fourth trimester in general, right? Single parents, married parents, couple parents, whatever system, adoptive parents, How can moms take care of themselves in the fourth trimester and beyond? We hear a lot about self-care for moms, but what do we specifically do? Tiffany, do you have any advice here? The fourth trimester was a big one for me, you know, with my son. And one, my anxiety kind of stems with, I become, it's not OCD, but it kind of 
teeters that way. Like when I'm really anxious, I start to obsessively clean and everything has to be in order and my books have to be filled out and the structure has to be there. And a part of that self-care is letting go of that expectation that everything has to be perfect. Everything has to be done. It is okay if you order out dinner, you do not need to make a five-star meal every night. Like that was the biggest self-care let go for me that helped the most. Just knowing like order pizza for your family and then go take a bath or just go read a book or go do something for you and, you know, not have guilt about it. And I think for me, it was really hard. And I actually, during the pandemic, I broke down and I was like, I need to see a therapist. It took that long. Like my child was already one and a half. And I finally was like, I think I need a therapist, you know, and I talked to her and I kind of looked for the answer of when will I be cured of this fourth trimester blues? Like what? And she's like, there is no cure. This is something you have to work on every single day. And I was like, oh, okay. And that's something else that we don't see. We think there's an end date to things like fourth trimester is over. Everything else is going to be bliss. And it's not for, you know, some of us, you do have to work on it for years or, you know, unfortunately the rest of your life, but just knowing that, you know, the structure is there, the routines are in place, but it's okay if they don't get done perfectly, you know, is a big one. You know, with self-care, I, one of the things that has helped me the most since becoming a mom is embracing just the reality that your life is not always going to be, it's rarely going to be perfectly balanced because that was something that I was so big on before becoming a mom. Once I started to let go of this like need for the dishes to always, you know, to get done every night for me to shower every day, for me to have that alone time that I used to have. Once I really just embraced the fact that life was going to be messy and it was, there was, there was a beauty in that, that I really needed to embrace because it helped me surrender in ways that I don't think I would have ever done had it not been for my son. And so for me, there, there were very specific things. Like if I did get to shower every day, that was, that was everything. <laughs> or just having, like taking a bath, having a few minutes to myself in the morning before going to get the baby. So maybe my husband would do the, you know, the morning feeding. For me, it was really these little things that really just kind of added up. For the most part, I would say the biggest thing that has served me in terms of self-care is, is, is surrendering and letting go and just embracing the messiness that comes with motherhood. Cheryl, you, you've written about mommy burnout. So can you explain what that is and how do we avoid that? I essentially just started seeing a pattern that women were bringing their kids into my private practice. And they were telling me about whatever they were worried about with their kid. But what I started to see was this pattern of them saying very similar things. I'm tired all the time. I feel totally unfulfilled. I swear I used to have friends. I'm an educated person. I used to have a career. I used to be a teacher. I used to run a company. Is this all there is to life? It felt very shameful, I think. You know, for some of them, I'm sure many of them, it was the first time they ever really verbalized it. It was just something I was like, wow, this is a pattern. So I just started noting it, noting, noting, noting. It wasn't until I had my second child that I felt the way I would describe it was I felt like I was drowning. I was underwater and I just sometimes came up for a big, deep breath. And then I was back down under again, just barely surviving, treading water all day long. My daughter was two, my son was a newborn and he was a great baby. So it wasn't like some people have, you know, colicky baby. And then that adds to the stress. It's very stressful. So there's certainly other sort of postpartum conditions that can exacerbate things. 
and having a colicky baby is one of them. When you feel you or not being able to breastfeed or they don't latch well, those things really are everything because you're like, this is what my job is right now is to keep this baby alive and happy and fed and content. And when you can't do those things, it gets to a primal level for us of, of stress. So it was the first time that I, I connected on a personal level to what all of these women had been telling me for the, for years. Well, essentially, when I started just writing and writing a proposal around just, I was originally calling it just modern day motherhood, because that's just simply how I saw it. Like, this is what today's mom appears to be going through. And this was a long time ago. This is like, this started, these observations started mm, seven, eight years ago. And so it's still it wasn't the same with vlogging and blogging and all those kinds of things. These were still very private kind of issues that people didn't talk about that freely. When I was talking to an agent and we were talking about, you know, selling it, she said, you need to name this condition though. You can't just say this is modern day motherhood. Let's name it. And so I'm like, well, there is no name for this. And so I really just dug deep into more kind of chronic stress research and those kinds of things and found originally in the 1970s when nurses and ER docs were being studied because they were what we call now burning out, which is chronic physical and emotional exhaustion, resulting in cynicism and a feeling like you don't matter. Your work doesn't matter. No one's going to change. Nobody listens to you anyway. So it causes people to either stay at jobs and be very, very unhappy or leave. They started that in caregivers. So doctors, nurses. And I thought, well, the ultimate caregiver is a mother. I think this is what's happening. I think it's chronic physical and emotional exhaustion. We know going into being a new mom, it's exhausting. We know that. But the chronic nature of it, and then if you have another child, or maybe you're going through a divorce, maybe you're a single parent, all the maybes, all of the scenarios can really just add to this feeling that I hear. And Tiffany said, which is, I'm not a good mother. I've had so many women confess that to me. Actually, I'm really not a good mother. Actually, I have no idea what I'm doing and they're not joking, right? They're being serious. So I wanted to talk about the topic with some lightness at times, but not humor, which is humor was great because it broke the ice and it got us talking about this. But I think there's also a serious nature of this, that if we just continue to talk about it, normalize around it, model it, and even, you know, say to another new mother, Hey, here's what my experience was in that fourth trimester. Here was what my experience was like for you, Chelsea, at six months, nobody told me. I had no idea that six months later. So if six months later, any of these things are happening to you, call me or I'm going to check in on you at six months. And I'm going to ask you because I love you because I care about you. I think these are ways we can start shifting the conversation. Some of that unfulfillment comes from changing careers after having a baby. And I think one of the big things is in the U.S. specifically, we do not have good maternity leave policies, right? Maybe you get eight weeks, but the average is more around six weeks. And even though we have family medical leave, Not everybody is qualified for that. and It's unpaid. So many people can't afford to take that. So if you're struggling with any of this type of stuff and now you have to go back to work, how can we navigate protecting both our own mental health and our careers as we go through this process? Tiffany or Cynthia, you want to start us off? I went back to work the first time when my daughter was nine weeks old. My work immediately sent me on a two day away trip. So I'm a new mom. Oh my gosh. depression. And I'm hooked up to a pump with hiding in little corners because there is no real pump area. It was hard, but I decompartmentalize things. And I would tell my husband it felt like a switch. In the morning, I was getting ready for work, hooked up to a pump because I was breastfeeding. And as soon as I shut the door and locked it, I turned off a switch. 
at that time, I thought that was the right thing to do. And now looking back, I'm like, no, (laughs) it wasn't. It was just masking what was going on. And I think one, something I didn't say, you know, was I am a new mom. I am doing this, like going to your boss and saying like, these are some of the things that I'm going to need and kind of standing up for yourself that way. And I know a lot of companies or employees feel like they can't do that because their company will retaliate, but they're not allowed to. Those are laws that we're not aware of as moms. At that time, luckily I was in HR. And so I was like, okay, hey guys, we can't do this. So, but not every mom has that knowledge. So just really knowing your rights as a new mom and, you know, your rights going back to work. And if you are breastfeeding and, you know, like you don't need to breastfeed on your lunch break, they do have to kind of give you extra time to do that stuff. It's the same as those people who have extra time to take smoke breaks. Like they don't feel guilty about it. So you shouldn't either. And just really knowing like you don't have to flip a switch. You don't need to be a mom during home hours and then just, you know, your work during other hours. They can blend together. And with my son, it wasn't that I didn't want to go back to work. I just, unfortunately, our company shut down and then I chose not to. And, you know, working from home and it's really taught me about the balance of how to be a working mom. And, you know, your life doesn't need to revolve around your work. That was like a huge thing for me because I felt my self-worth was tied to my job. And when I didn't have that anymore, I was lost. But now I'm finding that, you know, they can coexist together. And it's been a huge difference for me. It's such a hard thing with the laws that protect working moms, because we do see the pay gap uh, for mothers is significant. Much of the gender pay gap is actually tied to a motherhood pay gap. And even if legally they can't do anything, right, they, there are either tons of studies around the fact of like slower promotion tracks, being the first to be laid off. If you're someone who's complained about these things, actually, I left to start Smart Money Mamas a few weeks before my second was born. And I worked at a hedge fund previously. So very formal, intense culture. And while I was leaving, HR was asking me, like, why are you doing this? Like, why would you leave this successful career to start your own business? And I was like, well, I've spent two years now struggling with postpartum depression. And they were all surprised. They were like, well, why didn't you tell us? And I was like, because this is not a culture where that would have been accepted, right? Like, it's hard to talk about at work. And it's hard to manage at work. Cynthia or Cheryl, do you have any thoughts? I do. I mean, I think this is right now, this post-pandemic period is the great awakening. That's a a term that's being coined. People are re-evaluating everything from their values to their priorities. And now that we see, oh, the world can still operate remotely. Oh, I can still work from home three days a week. Maybe I'm a person who wants half and half. Maybe I want to be mostly remote. Maybe I want to go back into the office. All of these options seem to be on the table. So I feel like all the things we're talking about, motherhood gaps, we have a childcare crisis. That's a whole nother hour conversation. We have a lot of issues that really have affected mothers, but because of this pandemic and we saw women leaving the workforce by the millions, we need those women back. And I think companies know that they need to do things in their companies to support wellness and mental health and paid family leaves and paternity leaves and all these kind of issues that have been floating out there. And there's been some big voices around it, but not a lot of change in action. I think it's going to happen. We are the ones that are going to make that happen. And we are going to help write those rules. So I hope that women who do experience these things know that this is our also our great opportunity. I definitely think there's been a shift in how we compartmentalize our professional identity and our you know motherhood identity. I know for me, 
I went back to work when my son was six months old and I thought I was just going to like jump right back into pre mom practitioner. And that was absolutely not the case. I had to pump in between patients. I was sleep deprived. And I think one of the things that the best thing that I did is I was just very honest with my patients and I communicated with them all the time. And I said, Hey, listen, you know, I, I'm only coming back part time. I need to space out my patients. I'm only available on these days. I had to set very, very strong boundaries. For the most part, my patients were very understanding. And I think that they actually really appreciated the honesty. And then, you know, COVID, like I had to shut my practice down. I was home with my toddler for a year. That was very, very, very stressful. And you know, coming back to work now, I've been back for a couple months. And again, here I am again, having to communicate to them that, you know, my childcare is limited. My husband has a corporate job, you know, he he has a very fixed schedule. I'm fortunate in that, you know, I'm self employed, so I can, you know, I can make my own schedule. So that's really, really helpful. I think for me, it's like, I don't need to compartment, I don't need to compartmentalize, like, I'm a practitioner. I'm also a mom. I'm, you know, I think just communicating that I think is going to be or is very helpful in changing the culture in the workforce for women. Cyril said, I think that got brought up a lot through the pandemic is that those walls had to come down, right? We couldn't be just moms at home and, and workers. And we actually saw it too with equalizing some of the dads at work, right? Who never had to talk about and you see them coming out to Zoom calls and kids were around and there was definitely still a massive inequality who who picked up the childcare throughout the year. But it, I do think that opportunity to make some big changes are there. Mamas who are watching, we've got about 10 minutes for questions. So drop your questions in the chat. We have some that got submitted ahead of time. So we're going to start there. Our first question is from Laura. And Cheryl, I think this is a great question for you. What can you do when seeing a therapist or a counselor just isn't in the budget when you feel like you need help, but you can't afford it? I have a couple of thoughts on that. Number one, really, if you're employed, ask them about their benefits. And if they don't have telehealth or digital health, there's two interchangeable terms, ask about getting it. It's very cost effective. It's the way of the future. It's easy. It's convenient. It can be 15 minutes, 30 minutes. It can be sitting in your closet. You don't have to leave for anywhere. So I'm really embracing the telehealth. The research shows it's as effective as in person. That's one option. And, and even if your employer doesn't cover it, there are options where maybe that's a little bit more in the budget. And if you don't have to travel, maybe it's doable. So A, consider telehealth. B, consider looking for groups. Groups are another way that you can maybe even have still a licensed practitioner that's running the group, but there are you know eight or 10 of you in the room. So it's a lot less expensive. It's a lot more affordable. So looking for groups is another option. I'd say C is... Look for communities online that are, you know, maybe addressing some of the topics you are, you know, single moms. There's a group for everything. There's like probably single moms in tech. There's, you know, stay-at-home moms who used to be teachers, whatever. There's a group for everybody. You know, I think initially online groups to me did feel like, oh, I'm a little bit skeptical of this. And certainly we all know that sometimes something is going to happen. But if it's a group that's really large, it's usually moderated by somebody. And although something might happen on there, I have had so many moms say to me, gosh, just my Facebook group on raising a child with autism has been so powerful. I talk to them about meds or vitamins or, 
you know, an IEP at school, how to advocate for my kid. And there's this whole army of people on there that have been through it. So I think those are at least three options that are free or affordable and seek it. And if you're a self-help kind of person, there's usually a book for everything. And a book isn't going to give you all the answers, but a lot of times if you're journaling along with it, if somebody else, if you're even part of a book club, a really intentional book club, start that. Everybody get this book. You could get it from a library. Let's talk about these kinds of new mom issues. So I think there's a couple different options. And one of the recommendations that we've heard been successful for moms in our community is looking for a local university that um, new counselors getting their hours and things like that, either do discounted or free sessions through the university. It's a place to look to if you want that one-on-one support, but it isn't covered by your insurance is a great option. Tiffany, here's a question for you. I'll actually have everybody answer this, but we'll start with you. Kate wants to know, what was your most simple self-care that really helped you in the fourth trimester? I think Cynthia mentioned it's kind of made up of little moments throughout your day. And I think if we can't expect to have, you know, an hour to ourselves, it's just not going to happen. But it was those little moments like getting up. I think for me, I wasn't really a morning person until becoming a mom. And there was something about waking up before the children and going down and just making coffee and having nothing on, no TV on, no background noise, just sitting in silence with my coffee and finishing it. So I don't have to warm it up seven times during the day. That was like my little bit of bliss throughout my day. It just, if I didn't get that done, I already knew like it's going to be hectic, (laughs) but just getting to like sit in silence alone and just enjoy that time before my kids woke up was amazing for me. Cynthia, what about you? You mentioned the shower. Did you have any other little rituals? I think when my son was about two, three months old, I started having a lot of anxiety and I really missed my morning routine. And so what I started doing is I would, I would bring him into bed with me for that first feeding and I would nurse him and then I would pick an affirmation card. And this is before I created my own deck. I've been a fan of, of affirmations for over 10 years. I would pick an affirmation card and that would help me feel a little bit more empowered because I really, I was really feeling like things were just happening to me. And so when I started that practice, it made me feel like, okay, I can be a little bit more intentional about my day. I can, I started to feel a little bit more connected to okay, what do I want to experience today? And it was great because I could do it with my son. That was probably like, and that's actually what inspired me to create my own deck. So that, that was really beautiful. That was, that was very healing for me. That's wonderful. Cheryl, did you have anything? The only thing that I would add is think about, take a moment to think about whether you are more of an introvert, an extrovert, an ambivert, what your needs are for self-care change. I consider myself an ambivert. So tomorrow, what might be rejuvenating for me is to have an awesome phone call with a great friend and just laugh and just connect or maybe FaceTime. And that is like that one 30 minute phone call just like will help me get through the rest of the week. But there might be another day where I'm like, nope, don't want to talk to anybody. I want to take a walk. I mean, just a simple walk, right? I want to, I just want to take a walk and I want to listen to music really loud or whatever it is. Like I want to be by myself. So just, just really, I think to check in with yourself, because I think we think self-care has some sort of formula or it's prescriptive and it's really not. It's just take the the moment to just say, what do I want today? Is it, is it like extroverted more? Like I want to connect with others or is it really introverted? Do I want to be alone and, and quiet? So just know that oftentimes our preferences change. 
All right, mamas, one last question, which is what is your go-to gift or offer of help for a new mom? What helps the most? I'd say food. (laughs) Definitely food. Cooking, cooking a meal for them, uh, baking something for them. If they're nursing, you know, making some like lactating cookies, food, food, food has been a big one uh, for me. Definitely. To add to that, I, you know, like I mentioned, I usually will gift the mom something um, and I'm, I'm huge into gift baskets. I love it. So it's a little bit of everything. Um, so I will do a book, something lighthearted. You don't want to do more like self-care or, you know, or for the baby, just keep it for the mom, something that I enjoy, lighthearted book that she can just kind of read some gift cards so she can get something for herself, you know, a candle, maybe some Epsom salt bath so she can relax. Basically a basket that really promotes self-care and little reminders for her to just take time for herself throughout the day. I always say food is love, right? But what I like to do is I like to do also a basket and have it as a theme of these are a few of my favorite things. I put a little note with things like I do truly what were my favorite things. I'm a mom of three. So when I do that now, I'm pretty seasoned. And so I know what I liked, you know, I know which baby food puree processor I liked, or I know my favorite diaper cream and I do not waver from that diaper cream. I will always put that in there. So they're getting a basket that's really thoughtful that says, Hey, I've been through a lot of diaper creams. I've been through a lot of baby washes, whatever it might be. And I always put in baby hangers actually too, because you have all these clothes and then you're like, uh, Oh yeah, I need little tiny hangers. But, um, I just try to put in the things truly and genuinely that I loved that way. They know this is pretty tried and true. That's my favorite thing to do too. And also tying off to Tiffany's, I always do like water bottle and tea and stuff. That's like just for mom, especially in those first few self-care weeks. These are great tips. Everybody, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much. I want to have each of you tell us where we can find your resources and your work so that people can follow up with you. Cheryl, you want to start us off? Everything that I do can be found on my website, which is drcherylziegler.com. And all social media handles are the same as well. Tiffany? If you're looking for really postpartum care and breastfeeding tips, it can be found on my vlogging channel, which is self-titled Tiffany Day, or on Instagram, really active at tiffanyday.co. Cynthia? Yeah, so you can find me um, at purahealing, P-U-R-A healing.com. My Instagram handles, I have two. One is just at purahealing, and then you can find my postpartum empowerment deck at postpartum empowerment deck on Instagram. Mamas, whether you're an expecting mom who isn't sure what's to come, or if this is your first or second child and you're really struggling with your mental health, I hope this conversation was helpful to you. The biggest takeaway from this conversation is to know that you can ask for help. I know it's scary. I know it's hard. But once you ask for that help, try not to back out of it. Let the people who love you step up and get professional help when you need, whether it's therapy or other resources. As much as baby blues, postpartum depression and anxiety, and even just new mom overwhelm can feel lonely, you truly aren't alone. Find your community and the people who can support you so you can get back to living your purpose-driven life. That's what you're here for and what your kids deserve to see. I'm sending you all the love and hugs. I want to thank Cheryl, Tiffany, and Cynthia again for coming on the show. For links to all of their sites and social media profiles so you can continue to connect with them, head to the show notes at smartmoneymamas.com forward slash 118. That's also where you can check out the New Mama Money Plan, which includes a whole section on preparing and budgeting for self-care and mental health so you're taken care of as well as the baby. 
keep talking money, mama. I'll see you next time.